Welcome to Profiles in Leadership Podcast, where we explore ideas and discuss strategies from leaders in the physical therapy and healthcare world. I am your host, Steve Anderson. These podcasts are sponsored by VGM Advantage, who provide member services to private practice physical therapists, allowing them to have the resources of a larger company while staying independent and PT-owned. very special guest today, Mr. Rich Cates. Rich Cates is the Director of Contracting and Network Services for Therapeutic Associates, which is a 64-year-old physical therapy private practice with over 85 sites in Washington, Oregon, and Idaho. He also serves as the Contracted Executive Director for Northwest Rehab Alliance, a three-state PTIPA with over 375 clinics and close to 1,400 providers serving payers and providers with managed care contracted relationships. Rich has been a presenter at the private practice section nationally and has done regional presentations for the Oregon Physical Therapy and Independent Practice Group and the Private Practice Special Interest Group of the Physical Therapy Association of Washington State. The Ohio Physical Therapy Network, the Louisiana Physical Therapy Network, Desert States Physical Therapy Network of New Mexico, and the Physical Therapy Business Alliance of Arizona. He recently was a guest speaker at the annual Physio First Educational Conference in the United Kingdom. Rich has been involved in the healthcare sales, marketing, and contracting since 1983 and has worked specifically in rehabilitation contracting since 1991. He is a 1981 graduate of the University of Oregon School of Business with a management degree and a secondary emphasis in finance. Rich, thanks for uh, being uh, my very first uh, uh, interviewee on the on the podcast. Uh, I appreciate it very much, and uh, it's been a few months since we've had a chance to talk, so I'm looking forward to uh, talking with you today about uh, physical therapy networks. Thanks for having me, Steve. I hope we can help your audience out with uh, some history and explanation of networks and where they sit in the marketplace right now. So, Rich, uh, I, I see you as a as a pioneer in this field. I mean, back in the early to mid-90s, I believe it was, uh, we started talking about networks and formed one of the, I think, probably one of the original networks uh, in the nation. And, uh, you know, so a lot of people feel they've been good. Some people feel that they're not as good. Uh, I, I just like your perspective to see uh, why they were necessary, if they still are necessary, and what has changed over the years from what they were back then to what they are now. Okay. Well, first, thank you for your kind words. Um, certainly, uh, the true uh, leaders in the physical prof- therapy profession, uh, like Mike Whitebur and uh, Jim McKillop and a variety of other people, um, have the same concepts of networking uh, with various uh, uh, providers throughout geographic regions and so on. I think what we did in the 1990s was uh, employ a strategy that I refer to as the pufferfish strategy that was uh, a reaction to the large corporate 
um, and publicly funded physical therapy clinics or companies coming into our market space. Um, they were buying up clinics and uh, creating footprints that they thought would uh, help them corner the market uh, with the insurance companies and the new managed care contracts that were being uh, developed at that time. So, so it's kind of safe to say that did. it's probably safe to say that it was a strategy born out of uh, more of a defensive strategy or maybe even a uh, because of fear strategy. To some degree, yes, uh, I would say that. And But as they say, the best defense is a good offense. Yeah, so exactly. I think what, what we did was we partnered with like-minded, culturally compatible uh, clinicians throughout the Northwest to create that footprint and then develop a product around it that we could take to the insurance companies and turn the tables on the large corporate uh, publicly funded entities that were coming into uh, the Northwest. And it succeeded. Uh, they disappeared after a period of time, and Northwest Rehab Alliance, the network we helped form and you were actually the president of for a period of time, uh, resulted in uh, us maintaining our position and our market share and uh, benefited uh, uh, quite a few independent practitioners that uh, had agreed to work with us in that fashion. So while it was uh, defensive, um, it succeeded in not only defending, but uh, ultimately uh, in an offensive type of result, uh, eliminating elements of the larger corporate players that were threatening uh, to overtake our markets. And what was the biggest challenge back then? Was it getting physical therapists to understand why this uh, was a good idea and to get them on board? Or was it trying to convince insurance companies that they should uh, contract with a network versus individual PTs? I think it was both. Uh, what we had to do is simultaneously convince providers that they needed to take a leap of faith and joined together in a way that would attract insurance companies to work with them and at the same time uh, discuss with the insurance companies the benefits of dealing with a single point of administration to establish their physical therapy coverage. So really uh, both uh, motivations were there and uh, we had to navigate the, the the concerns of providers for capital commitment and results with the uh, concerns of the payer community for wanting a uh, an adequate provider network that could best serve their enrollees and to place some trust in us that we could develop that that network for them. And what do you think, uh, so comparing back then to now, uh, what do you see the biggest changes are? I think the, we're actually going through a, a deja vu period where the network uh, process that we started in the 1990s and succeeded in helping us maintain our market position um, the, the value of it ebbed somewhat as the, the managed care 1.0 era uh, had 
had less effect on the market, and there was a great pushback away from that HMO type of constrained uh, provider panel. What happened, I think, uh, in the last few years is because of the rising healthcare costs and the GDP that is being taken up by healthcare in the United States, the same uh, issues uh, are in place that were in the 90s that has created a new interest in networks. Albeit now, I think the concerns are slightly different uh, in that there was, in the early years of networking, a much more concerted interest in cost savings and uh, access. And those things are still there when we're dealing with insurance companies. But the uh, focus has changed a little bit to be more of a discussion of value, fee-for-value, alternative payment models, and ways to ensure quality of care and not just uh, the lowest possible price. I'm not saying that insurance companies still aren't very seriously concerned about what they pay providers, but now there's an additional focus on the value that those services bring to their enrollees and is their premium dollar being well spent. You know, and I think when you look at it from the physical therapist's point of view, sometimes there's a feeling that, oh, to become a part of a network, um, it's more of a volume game, and I have to give up a percentage of fees to do that, and so that's always the, the tug and the pull. But that, that's not necessarily true. I mean, you've experienced in, in your network work that you've actually been able to affect fees on the upside as part of the network. That's correct. I think that we were able to do something maybe some of the other networks were not able to do because I always considered a network to be uh, needing to be something more than just dots on a map, that you had to build a product offering around it. And that's where, for instance, um, the genesis of our Care Connections platform began. Uh, we began a concerted effort to not just be dots on a map, but to provide clinical practice guidelines, uh, to collect outcome data, to collect patient satisfaction data, and to promote business-to-business efficiency by uh, providing services like credentialing for the insurance companies and absorbing those costs. And then I think what happened, Steve, is the insurance companies became uh, uh, very satisfied with the product that they were buying from us. Uh, the, the, the clinics that we were able to bring to them, the, the practice guidelines, the outcome data, the satisfaction data, the credentialing services, those types of things. and because we provided those services and the value of those services and absorbed some of their administrative costs, it created a relationship that allowed for uh, more reasonable negotiations with the insurance companies because were they to part company with us, they would in essence be taking on a set of responsibilities and their associated costs that we had been absorbing. So it gave us some leverage in terms of our relationships with the insurance companies to um, 
maintain relationships. And when we went to them and explained that our costs uh, had had risen for whatever reasons, there was a, a more uh, reasonable conversation about compensating us to not go backward. And I think that product offering concept of being more than dots on a map is what differentiated us from many, many other networks around the country that had different levels of success, but most uh, not maybe quite as uh, as effective as we were. So maybe that's one of the changes that we can uh, talk about over the last 20 years is that initially I would suspect that uh, insurance companies didn't really understand that concept or really care about it. Uh, but but now they seem to be more willing to look at some of those quality issues, and also because of that, and because of dealing with a well-run um, uh, one administrator, as you mentioned, uh, perhaps they're willing to pay a little bit more for that service than they were uh, in the past. Correct, and I think Steve, it's very important to to understand that to keep the equitable nature of the relationship, uh, it was important to share with them what our product was and its focus on quality and reduced administrative expenses for both parties in order for them to uh, agree to those fee increases, which were always nominal, uh, not uh, so significant that it would position the insurance company uh, into a, a place that they would seriously consider terminating the relationship with the network. Instead, it was one of the where they balanced the services that they were getting, the administrative costs that were being absorbed, uh, the value-added services that they were getting from the network against what was a reasonable request for additional compensation and found that the request was equitable and would maintain the contract. And then the key was to do that uh, periodically, year over year or every two years, uh, with those small incremental fee increases such that the payment levels in the Northwest, I think, better reflect both the value, quality, and costs of care that the physical therapy uh, clinics in our network deliver. Tell me, too, I know that you're involved with um, uh, kind of a group of other networks. Uh, in other words, um, you know, our friends in Iowa that you've consulted with and advised, uh, advised uh, them forming their network. And then we have the, the New Mexico network that's uh, uh, been a part of this uh, bigger group for a long time. So explain that a little bit and why it's important for network, network executives to, to meet and, and, and talk about ideas and so on. Well, first of all, I think good decision-making um, from a group is probably better than good decision-making from a single uh, party. I think that the value of network executive directors uh, comparing notes and uh, sharing ideas for how they're building their network product and so on uh, without uh, running amiss of any um, confidential information in our contracts and so on has been valuable because um, one network uh, is not another network and that 
each network can benefit from what another network may or may not be doing, or even learn from their mistakes. Uh, in Iowa, the uh, the group of practitioners in that market space, I think, learned a great deal from what we our experience had been, and we were able to share certain tools and tactics and considerations with them that got them up and running fairly quickly. Uh, I think as networks begin to target employers as opposed to insurers, which is kind of a new proposition that is being looked at, that employers run across state lines in many cases, and therefore a network-to-network relationship can help support any one network's agreement with an employer uh, the way an insurance company contract uh, tends to stop at state lines due to the the regulations that are governing insurance. Employers, on the other hand, um, because they have employees across uh, many states, networks in those states can work together to support that employer and kind of new level. And I think that's more of the future of networks is networks uh, from different regions of the country working together to support a common employer client um, the way that the regulatory environment hasn't really allowed networks uh, across state lines to support uh, a single payer the same way. So I think that there's a new frontier here for networks to uh, establish themselves work with other networks, approach a different form of customer in an employer, and then work together to satisfy that employer's needs for coverage outside even their uh, catchment area, their region of the country where their footprint exists. Well, let's talk about that a little bit further because both you and I were at the Graham Sessions in January, uh, this last January in Florida. And... uh, our keynote speaker there, Dave Chase, uh, was listening to us have a discussion and, and somebody said, you know, we need to be better at, at negotiating and getting appointments and talking with insurance companies and all that. And I remember he said, you know, your focus should be on the employer, not so much the insurance companies. And I remember looking at you and the audience as you were sitting there because you've been saying that forever. So um, what why is it taking so long to get there, and and do you see that as the future of networks? Then are are we someday just going to be working directly with employers and much less with the insurance companies? How do you see that uh, dynamic uh, work out, and and um, why are we kind of slow to to get that going? Well, first of all, I think to some degree we are working with employers, but with a middleman in terms of the insurance companies. The uh, a statistic that I recently picked up in some conversations with different insurance uh, companies in our region is that about 50% of their business is uh, administrative service organization business where they are actually serving the self-insured employer. That's uh, more of the TPA about, type of thing, right? Precisely. Yeah. And so um, only 50% of their business is fully insured business. Consequently, um, I think it's been kind of slow on the uptake because, first, uh, employers, 
um, do need insurance companies to process their claims, and they are the natural source of a provider network. However, I think what is really changing in the marketplace is where provider groups are independently going to employers and saying, you're self-insured, um, you can direct your insurance company to process your claims however you like, but we're the ones that would like to develop the programs and service uh, components with you that are customized to your employees in, in such a way that you're going to get more value. And I think HR directors, uh, finance people at employers are starting to understand that they can better represent themselves than their insurance company uh, insurance companies can. And I think that's where uh, you're starting to see this transition. But I agree with you. It's been slow because the insurance companies uh, obviously have uh, have a, a stake in all this, and they um, are not interested in their employer customers going around uh, them and cutting deals directly with providers. There have even been obstacles to that in contracts, Steve. Uh, one of the nation's larger insurers has in their contract that you, uh, as a provider on their panel, can't even talk to their employer customers. Mm -hmm. But again, I see that changing, and I see employers realizing that they're not getting the value from their insurance companies that they want. And so when an employer ends up talking to a provider group directly, they're realizing that there's a whole new uh, value proposition there for them. And the other thing that came up during the Graham session discussions was that uh, insurance companies are, are smart and they're strategic and they, they understand that uh, times are changing. And a lot of them, like Cambia, up in our neck of the woods here, uh, is investing and creating very many different business opportunities and divisions realizing that someday what has been their bread and butter for all this time maybe is starting to go away at some point, and they're preparing for that in the future. So um, I think we're seeing some, some movement on the insurance side as well in, the, in that area. Yes, you're right. Cambia, uh, just to give some uh, evidence to what you're saying to the listeners, uh, has an actual venture capital division, in essence, that is dedicated to taking – uh, money that they have in their surpluses and reserves and investing in different forms of business to diversify their portfolio and uh, make sure that they have a place in the market when and if employers do end up doing more of their dealings with provider networks and provider groups directly and they, again, just end up being that third-party administrator or uh, administrative service organization. Do you think that part of, the, part of the slower growth in that employer market is because as physical therapists, it's just a small piece of the, uh, of the health benefit uh, formula um, if we could bind together with physicians or other practitioners and go in as one group? Uh, that uh, might have better uh, better uh, uh, success rate at, at uh, convincing employers that uh, this is the way to go to the future to, to reduce health care benefit costs? I do, too, but only to a degree. I think what, um, 
what you're saying is is that physical therapy being only about two to three percent of the premium dollar um, is a small, a relatively small spend compared to what a self-insured employer or an insurance company would be paying hospitals, doctors, laboratories, imaging companies, etc. But the the pitch from the physical therapy standpoint is that the an investment in a direct relationship with a physical therapy network can result in uh, exponential savings for an employer in other uh, costly areas of uh, medical care for their employees. So even though it is a small part of the premium dollar, the potential results from investing actually more dollars in rehabilitation services, prevention services that can be delivered by physical therapists and occupational therapists, uh, and uh, other types of uh, services that are uh, available to them from the physical therapy and occupational therapy community can have an enormous return on investment. But I, I agree the obstacle that mm-hmm. exists is that benefits manager at an employer who maybe doesn't realize the potential impact that yeah. um, a, a small spend and even a, a slightly larger spend in physical therapy uh, can result in a, it's actually an investment that can result in uh, significant cost savings in other areas of medicine. Yeah, it takes that next level of sophistication of the employer health benefits people to see that that higher level uh, piece is not uh, necessarily exactly directly related. It's, it's that next level. And, you know, it's interesting because, um, and it feels so self-serving because physical therapists are always like, well, this makes total sense to us. Why doesn't anyone else get it? And uh, so it just takes more education and and then some experience with um, uh, doing that for employers and making a big difference and then getting some, uh, uh, some kind of um, data or or, um, or or information back from that employer showing that it did make a difference, and hopefully that'll uh, that'll lead to more more opportunities. I agree, and you just touched upon the data. Um, we have such a wealth of clinical outcome data in our care connections database, patient satisfaction data, et cetera that um, if we do have cost information from an employer and or an insurance company that we can tie back their spend to the type of clinical results and um, employee satisfaction that we're able to generate, when you have those two components together, you've satisfied that value equation. And I think a lot of the HR people uh, and the uh, the finance people in the employers are starting to understand that uh, and are willing to generate those uh, those reports that show what their costs are that we can then marry to our clinical outcome piece to actually produce some uh, indice of value. And I think that that, uh, that data-driven approach is going to become paramount in the in the coming year to two years. So getting back to uh, how networks are different today then, so it sounds like what you're saying is that 
um, you know, to, to attract some of these major employers that have employees in multiple states. You know, there, there's hardly any company that's big enough, and, and surely a, a single uh, private practice PT can't go in and do this. So this is where the network comes in as to perhaps providing, um, you know, the same philosophy and the same types of treatment to this employer and, and perhaps, um, you know, get them to look at it just beyond uh, where their headquarters are, more like where all their, are the, all their uh, uh, extensions of their company are. That's correct. I think that what, what you're going to see is, as the whole uh, country searches for solutions to the, the ongoing health care uh, cost issues and so on, that uh, as David Chase indicated, uh, as you said at the Graham sessions, almost every company is in the healthcare business, whether they know it or not, and that the insurance community probably hasn't been offering the types of solutions that uh, have been uh, that will work for employers, and so they're searching for new ways of doing business, and I think provider networks rather than, as you said, the individual clinic uh, here, there, and everywhere, will have uh, far more uh, presence and capability and, therefore, uh, uh, ability to work with a large employer. And when you're dealing with so many of the the large national companies uh, that we see in all kinds of different industries, um, they will have uh, a need for their employees, wherever they may be, in a region or across the country, they will want the same level of service and return on investment uh, wherever those employees might be. And that, again, uh, speaks to the virtue of a network and then the virtue of networks from around the country working with one another to satisfy that common employer client that might have people on the West Coast, the East Coast, the Midwest, uh, wherever it might be, that they can get a homogeneous product with the right return on investment uh, wherever their employers uh, or employees might live. Well, just to kind of wind up here, Rich, uh, why don't you just, um, was there anything I didn't ask you about networks or, or what do you, you feel the, the future of networks is as uh, strong as ever? Just kind of uh, give us what's going to happen in the next uh, three to five years as far as networks go. I'd say that there's probably two things that uh, I think the network community is probably going to have to uh, understand, come to grips with, and and facilitate. One, I believe, is the concept of, of risk-taking. I think that uh, networks uh, and their product offering are going to have to uh, possibly take on some risk uh, for clinical outcome, uh, et cetera, pay for performance types of programs. They're going to have to be involved in those, et cetera. So I think that product offering that I think is essential for any network to be successful is going to have to have a platform like our Care Connections platform, et cetera, that is going to be able to help them manage quality, manage risk, uh, that they're bound to take from employers and or insurance companies. The second area I think that is uh, on the horizon and that we're, we're watching closely is the concept of the, the shared uh, management service organization across network members where 
Um, in our case, Therapeutic Associates supplies credentialing, contracting, compliance, uh, network development services to insurance companies, and we can certainly do that to employers. But uh, there is the cost side of running a physical therapy clinic, and I think that there's going to be uh, more uh, management service organization services uh, expanded out to network members that include could include billing, collections, back office, front office functions, those types of things. But I think we're just we're just seeing the tip of that and I think it the jury is out on whether or not the MSO uh, model, uh, expanded MSO model of a network is uh, is really going to take or not. I think that it's going to be explored, and I think it's going to be uh, there's going to be different versions of it that are created, maybe in different uh, networks and parts of the country. Uh, but I think that it's such uh, it's a change for the independent clinician to think along those lines. But I think it it could have some traction. But I'm not um, I haven't decided one way or the other whether it's going to take hold or not. Yeah, and I think that uh, it's a similar philosophy that like VGM Advantage is trying to uh, provide services for private practitioners as well with the idea that as an individual private practice, you can't always provide the, the resources or have the quality or the sophistication of, of services that that a, a company that a lot of people use could. So it's kind of that, uh, you know, we're better together than we are separate. So uh, why not do what we're really good at, which is treat the patients and and uh, help them heal, but on the other hand, get some help with some of the running the business side of things so that you can really focus on that and, and, and make it work. Correct. I think that there's economies of scale uh, to having a, a single management service organization that can relieve certain costs and headaches for the independent clinician that is served by that MSO. But um, I think that there is a, a limit to the value of those economies of scale. I still think that the real value of a network is going to be on the contracting side with the employers or with the insurance companies uh, and the MSO component on the cost side and the, the operation side of running uh, a clinic in a network is going to be explored, but um, I'm not sure it's going to have the, the potentially dramatic reduction in costs that uh, some think that would improve margins. I think that the top line and not the bottom line are probably going to be the is going to be the place that a network can really um, benefit its its constituent members, maybe more than on the bottom line or the cost line side. Well, Rich, I, I want to thank you very much for spending some time with us today. Um, I know you well, and uh, uh, although you're not a PT yourself, I know that you understand the PT world and the business of PT probably better than any PT I know. Um, and uh, it's uh, the thing that I think is amazing about a network is it gives uh, more people that are in smaller practices exposure to someone like you on a regular basis so that they can understand what you're thinking and what you're uh, trying to do for them as, as, a, as a group and, and as the PT profession as a whole. So uh, thank you very much for all you do for our profession, and uh, I really appreciate your time with me today. Thank you, Rich. Thank you, Steve. It was a pleasure talking to you again.
Thank you for tuning in and listening to Profiles and Leadership Podcasts. And also thank you to VGM Advantage for sponsoring these podcast services. I look forward to our next session as we discuss pearls of wisdom from leaders with vision.